Welcome to Tell Me a Story, where I have conversations with incredible people telling fascinating stories. Everyone has a story, and each story deserves to be told. This podcast is fueled by my own passion for stories, and in each episode, I sit down with someone and hear a story of theirs. Whether these stories are full of adventure, excitement, or tragedy, there's always something we can learn. So, tell me a story. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Tell Me a Story. Today, we have my friend Landon Cates. Landon, who are you? Well, Logan, I don't know that I know who I am, to be honest with you. I've recently uh, come out of the Arabian Desert and just kind of, I've just been on a journey of self-discovery like at no other point in my life and uh, really realizing how how far I am from truly understanding who I am, who I was created to be, um, and and what I'm actually, actually designed to do with my life, to be honest. Hmm. But I'm well, here to tell you a story. <laughs> yeah, you are. What an intro. All right, Landon, who's winning in a fight, Batman or Superman? Um, I'm pretty sure we saw the movie. It's Batman. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I would definitely pick Superman. I just feel like Superman has a much more emotionally healthy life, which I've been digging <laughs> into lately. And I really feel like the the really the importance of walking a walk with emotionally healthy lifestyle. And I feel like Superman has that like he knows what he needs and he uh, knows how to respect the people in his life where I just feel like Batman is kind of unhealthy in that way. And <laughs> I feel like he struggles and, <laughs> you know, I don't think he deserves to win, to be honest. He needs to work through that stuff. Superman is not only winning the physical battle, but the battle of the mind as well. Yeah. Which the is battle arguably the heart battle of the heart. Wow. Arguably more important. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. Landon, what is your spirit animal? My spirit animal? If you were to be an animal okay. in another life. Definitely animal? a golden retriever. Like, that's totally wow, my personality. It. Like, super loyal. I'm like, yeah, I got this red beard. I'm all energetic. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm a golden retriever. I, I literally just want to pant and make you laugh and smile. Like I feel like golden retrievers are very people- uh, people pleasers, people friendly. So yeah, I, like yeah. I wouldn't say I'm a people pleaser, but I always want to make people laugh. I always want to make people, you know, feel better. Mm. Well, Landon, how's your week been going? My week's uh, been going pretty good. The last two weeks, um, coming out of a really tough season, and the last two weeks have just been refreshing, to be honest, Logan. Mm. So you mentioned coming out of a tough season. Tell me about that season. Yeah. Okay. So at the end of February last year, I uh, put in my two week notice uh, to leave my my job in marketing and healthcare. And I just felt like there was more out there. Um, I felt like I had come to end of the season that I was uh, in with my my job in healthcare. And I get a call from a friend about three days later. And I was super stressed out about leaving my job um, because I loved it. The pay was great. The lifestyle was great. Really, everything was in line, but I just felt like I wasn't learning anymore. I felt like I had reached my maximum potential there. And uh, after I did that, I I got a call from a friend three days later saying, let's have coffee. And I got off the phone. I just felt like 
whether it was me or God, and I definitely think it was God, it was just like, say yes to whatever he asks you. And uh, became a yes man that day. And and then we had coffee and he said, hey, Landon, um, what do you think about going to the Arabian Peninsula next month um, for the next year? And I was like, pretty sure I'm supposed to say yes. So yes, let's, let's go for it. <laughs> and that launched the uh, epic of my last year. Wow. I have heard a little bit about your time. <clears throat> Tell me a little bit. I mean, you can go surface level or as deep as you want. Um, the purpose of you being over there in the first place, why or what were you doing rather? Yeah, so I was working in partnership uh, with actually a number of companies, but um, primarily uh, for an, an NGO and, and a recruitment company to uh, help launch young Americans into jobs in the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, you know, they really have a desire to see more Americans stepping into international roles within large companies in the region. And there's a huge perception shift that needs to take place. So I went over there and just kind of did a year of market research across, you know, four or five different countries to figure out what the feasibility was. And I was incubated by five or six different companies in that time. Mm. So, And I'm curious because you've lived in several different parts of the United States of the world. Um, what would you say you learned about being in that culture over there in the Middle East the past year? Yeah, dude. I mean, I, I spent four, five months in Saudi and I left. I just felt like I'd been lied to my whole life. And I didn't now Now, grant, grant you, I did not go in and think that, oh, Saudis are going to be this way. I really... Saudi just wasn't on my radar. Like I, I, I've obviously heard about it in rhetoric, but I, I never really spent a lot of time meditating on what it would be like to be in Saudi. But I feel like so much had been fed to me about this culture, the Arab culture, throughout years of media and people. And I come from a military family in the military. That uh, after when I upon leaving, I just felt like I had been lied to. And these are like some of the most loving people in the world. And yes, their their world revolves around their religion, but they're really just normal people that want normal things and the best for their children. And I think that that is true in any culture. And if we can really see that, which I really saw that I was invited into the homes of Saudis. And honestly, um, there were some expats leaving and they, they were like, uh, one of the things that they said was they were Christian and they said, why uh, their kids were coming home from school saying, why are my Muslim friends, my Saudi friends so much nicer than my expat Christian friends, mm -hmm. you know? And so like this culture that's radically compassionate, radically passionate, radically loving, um, but maybe a little closed off has this massive reputation of what war, um, of being closed off, of being anti-West or too conservative. And um, I think a lot of that rhetoric was just false. And I got to see that firsthand. Hmm. And why do you think that those stereotypes are so, I guess, Americanized? Do you think it's like the school, like you said, military, we've kind of like romanticized that idea of war through whether like books or movies. And it's mostly, at least in my lifetime and your lifetime, it's we've, we've been in the Middle East. So you think it? Do you think that has a lot to do with it, or? I think it. I think it has definitely has 
a part to do with it. You know, our mind is always trying to come to a safe place. We're always trying to um, determine subconsciously what is safe and how do I survive? You know, that's what the brain was designed or um, developed into being able to do. So when you walk into a space, you immediately start to develop unconscious bias. No matter where you are, you have you bring up when you walk into a room, if you're 21 years old, you don't walk into a room and, and you're there for a moment. You walk into a room and you read through 21 years of life, what's going on in that room. And we do that. It's much easier to do that when you can make generalizations about a part of the world or an aspect of culture here, even here among the diversity in the American culture, as long as we don't actually step into it and we don't actually try to understand, we can make generalizations. But the problem is that bias or that generalization, as soon as you actually step into doing life, whether it being another culture or another um, socioeconomic class in the United States, as soon as you step in, all your generalizations begin to fall apart. But for the most part, people, um, they, look, they look straight. They try not to make eye contact. You know, we do that with homeless people all the time. We don't want to make eye contact because if we make eye contact, we're going to feel that we need to give them money. So just look straight. Don't don't look. Don't look Bro, to that's the actually side. so convicting. It's, so, it's convicting. so true. It's so true. Yeah. But we do that. That's not just something that we do to homeless people. That's what we do throughout our lives because we have a fear that we may be called to act if we make eye contact, whether it be with a culture, a class, or just a person, you know? Mm. And talk about the different worldviews that you experienced over in the Middle East versus um, American worldviews, like honor, shame, innocent guilt. Um, power, fear. Power, fear. Yeah, yeah. So power, fear was kind of added as a, a recognized worldview. And when we talk about worldview, we're talking about the deepest part of culture. This is how you're raised to view the world around you. Think of it like a iceberg. Yeah, like an iceberg. So an iceberg, only like 15, 20% of the iceberg is above the surface. Mm. And that other 80% is below the surface. So the majority of cultures below the surface, it's not what clothes you wear or your religion. Like that's, that's all the top level culture. And so there's so many things that we make as assumptions, like this is about Islam. And it's not about Islam. It's about an honor-shame culture. And it doesn't matter whether you're Christian, atheist, or Muslim, uh, or Hindu, you're going to have uh, different behaviors because of what is at the depth of your culture. And um, honor-shame is, is a primary worldview in this part of uh, the world on the Arabian Peninsula. And it is a lot like the, the southern southeast United States in the days of old, it's all about community. It's community accountability. So when people, which is crazy, I want to stop you right there. Yeah. Because I recently heard that you know, I guess studies or whatever have shown that America, the United States, is the most individualistic country or community in the entire world. Mm -hmm. Which yeah. is crazy coming from that to it's all I can do it myself, me, 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 to then community it's all about you know your family and yeah and you know who you're representing yeah and and the thing about community accountability is it's not it's not just that you come together and you share time together it's that when you make a decision your brain has been we could say programmed or taught from childhood 
to process through a lens, how will this affect everybody in my tribe? How will this make people view um, uh, my family or my greater tribe or my name? You know, it's so much more than just coming together. Like that's true community has a belonging that's deeper and, and is actually identity. So when you challenge the identity of somebody that comes from an honor, shame culture, you actually challenge them and the 20,000 man tribe behind them, you know, which is a powerful force for progression. And it's also a powerful force for, for, for preventing people in the Middle East of going forward in some ways. You know, but either way, it's it's beautiful and we could use more of it here in the United States. Hmm. Landon, I want to ask you something that is kind of um, changing direction a little bit. But how was the coffee in oh, the dude. Arabian Peninsula? Dude, uh, so uh, do you know the, the origin story of coffee? I actually don't. So there's two like kind of ideas. One of them is, you know, kind of in Ethiopia, area of Africa, the idea of dancing goats. Yes, um, I've heard yeah, eating the leaves theory. of the yep, cherry yep. tree and then getting all energetic. The other one is that it kind of originated in Yemen, which at the you know southern Red Sea, they're, they're not Africa and the Arabian Peninsula are not far away from each other, just a couple hundred miles. Um, so somewhere it originated down there. And in Yemen, um, they grow a lot of coffee. And Yemen um, is an incredibly beautiful country that is going through a hard time right now. Uh, but they, they, the way that they do coffee isn't like the Northern Arabs. They don't cook it really dark or what we would call a dark roast or a Turkish roast or Arabic coffee in the North. Arabic coffee in, in the Arabian Peninsula is like Kaway is green. They don't even cook it. They, they just grind it and they mix it with, um, some spice, I mean, uh, cardamom. They mix it, mix it with that and they serve it. And it was so funny. Like one of my first days at a, at this little extended stay hotel, um, just hole in the wall place. I walked down and this Bengali guy offers me coffee with dates and dates are this fruit that comes off of palm trees that, um, you know, everybody eats in the middle East cause they grow the best ones in the world. And, uh, he serves me this and I eat the dates and I drink the coffee and I say tea. Like I hold the cup to him, I say, "This is tea." I think he has the word wrong. He says, "No, coffee," <laughs> and his English wasn't great, so I'm convinced he's wrong. I said, "Tea," and he walks me over and he shows me this coffee can, metal coffee can. He opens it up and he shows it to me. It's all green. I said, "Tea," <laughs> and so we argue for a second. Then I just give up. I'm like, "Okay, let this man think whatever he wants." And then I was totally wrong. It turns out it's coffee. It's just not roasted like we roast it. And I owned a coffee company briefly, so I uh, I, I I thought I knew something <laughs> about coffee or Arabic coffee even, because it means something different when you get up into the Levantine, like Jordan and Palestine and Syria. Um, so it really uh, really was a fun time. Was uh, it good? Yes, it's actually fantastic, okay. and it's super mild. So like the thing that a lot of people don't like about coffee is how bitter it is here. And you get, it's so caffeinated because you don't cook, like the, the harder you cook coffee, the more caffeine you begin to burn out. And so it's actually super strong and uh, yeah, and it's really tasty. It just tastes nothing like what we call coffee. Wow. I mean, you mentioned having your own coffee company, coffee company briefly. Would you, if you could go back mm. now that you have experience in the AP, would you choose to start that company in the United States or in Saudi? Mm, 
Well, it, I've actually was recently reached out to by some Saudi investors to bring a, a coffee brand to Saudi. And uh, I, it doesn't look like it's going to work out at this time. But what Saudi, what's so cool about the culture there is investment and building um, businesses and everything. It happens t- in a totally different way. So it's all about endorsement and power and honor. And when somebody decides to start a coffee company there, I mean, they'll throw a million dollars into a coffee shop like it's nothing. So mm. when Crown Prince MBS said a few years ago, like, hey, we need coffee. Like we need we need coffee shops where people can express their culture in public and Saudis can gather together. I mean, man, people hustled. And there are some of the most uh, extravagant coffee shops. And they they brought in coffee chemists from all over the world. And so if I could work with some people that could financially build that sort of coffee shop, I would love to contribute to that vibe in Jeddah. <laughs> I mean, I would I would jump on that in a heartbeat. Hey, and I, I might, you know, I might still do that. I've got, yeah, I'm talking to some other potential partners. So. That'd be dope. And you also want to start a jerky company. A jerky, yeah, make jerky great again. That's not political. I just believe in the, <laughs> the purpose of jerky. Uh, ask me more about that later. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Um, so... Going back to, you know, what you said, you're coming out of a dark season. What experiences, or maybe it was one particular experience in the AP, caused that kind of switch into like, Mm -hmm. a okay, I'm in the Middle East. I'm drinking phenomenal green coffee that I think is tea. I'm meeting incredible people. I've been lied to about these people. They're so loving. They're incredible. Yet you come out on the other side and man, I'm actually, I'm in a dark place right now. Where, what do you think kind of caused that? Yeah, so I, I would not attribute it to the Middle East, if I'm mm. being honest. Um, I do think, uh, I, I mean, I, I'm a person of faith, and I think that God had a huge role in that. Um, and so I, I really feel like it was a season maybe I was destined to be in, uh, kind of as as St. John would say, a dark night of the soul. Uh, but what one of the, some of the things that did attribute to that is culture shock. So everywhere, whenever you move to a new place, even here in the United States, you will go through culture shock. And culture shock primarily is triggered when w- the actions that you're taking are not intend or not receiving the intended response. So when you're saying something and it's been heard the wrong way, or when you're wearing some clothes that you think are cool. And they're not cool in New York. And all of a sudden you get made fun of, you know, or in university or wherever. And all of a sudden it, it creates a, a culture shock moment. And, and all of a sudden you kind of, if it's on a mountain journey, you fall into the pit. And at that point you have to either reject or accept it. And um, if you accept, you begin to move out of that. And if you reject, you stay in that same place of, I don't fit in. I don't belong here. This is too hard. It's not for me which a lot of Americans experience internationally, and then they come back after two years and don't work abroad. Um, I think that played a role. I, I, when I was in Dubai, I experienced a very late stage culture shock because of how busy I was early on. I was working with, for two, different, three, two, three different companies. I was networking constantly. I was in the towers. I was on the beach. Like I was all over the place. And um, then when I finally actually sat down in January and my projects were finished, then I realized how I was in an international relationship or um, 
an interracial relationship and that was we were from different cultures and that was creating stress my job projects finishing up and not knowing what was next that was creating stress culture shock hit me i just wasn't able to communicate in a way that i was feeling validated at the end of the day so all of that kind of built up and my mind was strong never was sad never was you know anxious in my mind but I actually started developing some physical anxiety and depression. And then that's what led for actually the last eight months of journeying in that. So I didn't even start to recognize that I was having anxiety attacks until end of March, even though they started in January. And I didn't recognize I was struggling with depression until May um, because my mind wasn't sad. Like a lot of people think like depression is like, oh, I'm sad. No, I mean, depression can be lethargic. It can be like you're out of energy and you can have something going on subconsciously or in your your flesh, your, your body keeps the score of trauma. And I had been exposed to a lot of difficult situations that had just put pressure on areas of maybe childhood trauma or past trauma that I thought I had dealt with, but I discovered I hadn't fully. Hmm. And you really, you find that scar tissue when somebody's putting a hammer to it, you know, hmm. like, and I, and I found that. And so it's been a journey and, and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm coming to the end of it, but I'm coming to a good place with it. Yeah. Did you feel alone out there? A lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know you have experienced loneliness in other times of your life. We've just talked about that before. Um, and one thing your dad told you was, and I guess I'll let you speak on it, but if you're a scared, of, if you're scared of something or you have something, just take it face on, you know? Yeah. Um, headed up and that's actually what you did one time with your loneliness yeah um so speak on that i think i think you know what <laughs> you i'm like referring that story. to you like that story don't um, you? yes um yeah so a quick note on a quote i i read recently in emotionally healthy spirituality is this metaphor of if if you feel the sun going down you're going into the darkness the sun's going down you're at the the dusk um the the quickest way to get to dawn is not to chase the dusk you know it's not to run west it's actually to run east you know to run into the darkness um and the dawn will come faster you know and so i, I <laughs> love so that metaphor woke. I love that's so it. woke <laughs> I love it. And uh, yeah, my dad prepared me in life in, a, in an amazing way that he did encourage me to run face first into my fears. And the last time I really struggled with anxiety in my life was in the summer of 2015. And I I kind of run for my walk. I, I tried to do things in a different way um, than what I was supposed to. I didn't want the responsibility of what I felt God was calling me into or what I was supposed to do in the world. And um, when I finally got back on track, I had developed some severe anxiety attacks, like, like deep, like whenever I would be fine, my grandparents would be sitting in the room and I'd be fine. But as soon, they'd be like, hey, we're going to Walmart. And I'm like, OK, and they're like, what, do you want to come? I'm like, no, I'm good. And then I would noticed about 15 minutes later, they were gone and I would have this impending doom. I feel like I was going to die. Like the anxiety mm -hmm. was so deep. Um, what came, and that was the product of sort of my running away from my responsibility in that season. But in that place, I decided, Hey, I can, I'm not going to live like this. I'd rather die than live like this. So I've got to face this. And 
every time I'm alone, that's when I experience anxiety. So I had my grandpa, I said, I, I looked up this place um, in the middle of nowhere. And I had my grandpa drive me and my dog, um, Diesel, out into the middle of nowhere, 20 miles to the closest cell signal. I said, just come back and get me in two days. And we got out of the car and we just started <laughs> trekking up in the woods and um, immediately got physically ill, actually. Um, yeah, that's a whole nother interesting story. <laughs> not what Logan's getting after, but... <laughs> Um, and, and I, I could not sleep. It was about 98 degrees in central Arkansas in the Fort Pine forest and, uh, Washita forest. And I, I went for a walk and I ate some pineapple. I had some canned pineapple and I couldn't start a fire because I, I took my camping bag, but while I had been gone, somebody had taken stuff out of it. So I didn't have a fire starter. So I had no fire. And, uh, I, I went for this walk, ate some pineapple and then I, I finally, about midnight, 1230 in the morning, I, I get into my tent and I'm trying to sleep. And actually, it's so hot that it, my sweat like begins to condense on the top of my tent and drip down on me because I had just a single person tent. <laughs> That's so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate. <laughs> and so then I rolled it up and, and I just I was just a mosquito net. So I had a one person tent, like seven foot by four foot. And I was laying in that and my dog, I cleared a place with no rocks like 15 feet away from me for him to lay down on and uh here i am alone in the darkness so you know i'm feeling that anxiety and uh finally i i fall asleep after i get it open and i just have the mosquito net and i'm in that zone where you're kind of aware of that you're in the forest but where you know you're aware of your surroundings but you're asleep and all of a sudden my dog like is rubbing his nose on my face which is not uncommon he does that every morning and then um he's rubbing his nose on my face through the the mosquito net and i just kind of mumble because he wakes me up diesel like go to sleep and then i i smell he breathes on me and i smell his breath i'm like that's not diesel's breath <laughs> And about the same time, and boom, that anxiety went deep. My heart, like fight or flight, I mean, hit me in the middle of my chest. And about that same time, I hear my dog's harness about 15, 20 feet away from me where he's sleeping. And then I hear, <laughs> and all of a sudden I hear my dog, who's like a pit bull, bull massive, just launch into this body. And it was a bear. Um, and it rolled over my tent, rolled over me and off into the, the bush. And I'm like, just listening. Did the, did the bear kill my dog? Did my dog went like, what just happened? It's pitch black. It's a new moon. There is no light. Um, I'm, I'm in utter darkness. So there's a lot of metaphors here. And, and then all of a sudden I, the, the rustling stops and I hear like, like, uh, loping through the forest and I, my dog walks up next. I still don't know where my dog is. And he walks up and sniffs my face <laughs> and I'm laying there. And I, like I said, my bag had been emptied. So I had no weapon. Um, I had a rubber mallet and I had an iPhone 3G because I was, <laughs> was a brick, you know. So I turned that camera on because I was like, people are going to know I went out fighting. So I'm like, I'm holding it. I turned the camera on. I had turned it off because there's no cell signal to reserve it. And I, I just have it on the audio because I'm like, people are going to hear I went out fighting. <laughs> and I, I'm holding that rubber mallet like, I'll just dare you to come back there. And, and I'm like, and I just have to come like, 
the Lord gave me a good dog. Like he saved me. Like I'm good. Like, you know, I mean, if I die tonight, I die tonight. And I'm just like, and then finally I pass out and I wake up about five 30 in the morning at dawn and I'm still alive, not eaten by a bear. <laughs> um, what I didn't know when I went out there is that is actually like where they restock bears in Arkansas, which was one of the most, <laughs> one of the most successful wild stock, uh, wildlife restocking in, in history, in American history, <laughs> wow. the black bear in Arkansas. So, yeah, wow. I set myself up for that. Do your research before you go off into your journey of the darkness. <laughs> wow. Well, what a story. Landon, well, thank you so much for sharing a bit of your story, which there's a lot more, which maybe we can cover another day on another podcast. Mm -hmm. um, but I do have a question for you. Who would play you in a movie? Ooh, that's a good one. Um it can't be myself. No. I you can play yourself, yeah. I guess. I would love to play myself, but um, wait, maybe Chris Hemsworth. I, I think <laughs> people call me Thor. I kind of got <laughs> that, that that wave, you know. So um, I mean, that would be pretty lit. <laughs> I can see it, honestly. I yeah. can see it. Yeah. Um, and you know, we just took a break, and during that break, you ate. <laughs> I wanted to tell people this. You just ate a lemon, a lemon lemon and peel and all wow just yeah. <laughs> i just saw this this argentinian woman like yesterday eat a whole lemon like a fruit like just what? straight up she bit into yeah like she's bit into it like an apple it's like <laughs> yeah so it's not that wild Maybe we're doing it wrong. but for me i I've, I've heard that there's a lot of nutrients in the peel and honestly it just tastes good like mm. you know it's like good Speaking breath of people doing things differently explain before you go the wiping situation in the <laughs> Middle East. Shoot, so my mom came in March to visit me in Dubai right before I left. She finished out the last two weeks with me. Um, and she shows up to my my house and she goes to the bathroom and she's like, Landon, where's the toilet paper? I don't have any toilet paper. Like, how, how do you... How do you clean yourself? I was like, the bum gun on the wall. Like... Yes. It's yeah. literally called a bum gun. Okay, so there's all sorts of terms for it, but you can search bum gun on Google and that's the thing that's gonna come up. So it's not gonna go bad. It's it's okay. Especially if you do the shopping portion, the bum gun. But it's like a a bidet, handheld bidet sprayer or whatever. Yeah, toilet sprayer thing. Yeah. And all it, it's all the rate. I mean, that's all they use and there was no toilet paper shortage in Saudi. And you said it does work better than toilet paper. Oh yeah. I mean, well, think about it, you know. If if something was on your arm, you wouldn't just wipe it off with paper, you know? You'd <laughs> wash that. Yeah. So the East has got it has got it right in this area. Dang. Now that being said, I in my overseas trips, I had never really tried to learn how to use it. But when I showed up in Saudi last year, I was like, I'm here for a year. I'm gonna get it. So I YouTubed it. And it <laughs> I did. I, I YouTubed. I was like, what's the best form here? You know? And I, I got it down. I got it down. I, to the point where I didn't even waste money on toilet paper anymore. <laughs> right. Well, I guess, I mean, there's something to learn. There's something there to learn there. There is. And there's a lot for people to learn in that region because sometimes I'll walk in the bathroom and, uh, you know, a Saudi dude and a thobe will walk out totally dry and I'll walk in the bathroom. I'm like, there's water dripping from the ceiling. Where, <laughs> how did, how did this guy, like, like when he used, he used he that water YouTube. gun. He did he it. Didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't, he, he was like, I don't know who he learned from, but he, <laughs> 
he missed all over the place. And a, a thobe is a full body thing. So it's like taking off a, a dress, you know, you got to take it all the way off. And I'm like, I don't know how that dude walked out dry because they're not a dry place in this bathroom. That happened a number <laughs> of times. Well, well, maybe Chris Simsworth can act that out yeah. <laughs> at some point. I want to see that happening. Oh, yeah, with that flow? Yes, the flow. Anyways, Landon, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you, Logan, for having me. It's been a, a pleasure. It has indeed. All right, we'll see y'all.